Matthew 16, we're going to go into chapter 17. We'll begin in Matthew 16, verses 20, verse 27. And the words of Jesus at the end of chapter 16 really are connected to chapter 17. Chapter and verse divisions are man-made. They're helpful, but they're man-made. <clears throat> but the thought continues into chapter 17. And today we're going to look at what's commonly called the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at it and what it is and what's so significant about it and what does it mean to us. Matthew 16, we'll begin reading verse 27, going all the way to chapter 17, verse 9. Jesus said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father, of His angels, and then shall He reward every man according to His works. Verily I say unto you there, be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And His face did shine as the sun, and His raiment was white as the light. And, behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man until the Son of Man be risen from the dead. We'll stop there. <clears throat> Is there somebody that you can think of that you just think, what's the most glorious, no, don't answer me out loud, but what's the most glorious person you've ever seen? What's the most glorious person? Don't answer me out loud, but think about it. What's some person like, they're just so glorious. There's just such amazingness about them, you know. Um, think about somebody like, perhaps it's a, you know, an athlete, and you think this athlete is just awesome and, and so wonderful. And, um, or uh, some people like certain actors and actresses. or Some people get enthralled, and they, they just think it's wonderful following Christian celebrities and their blogs and, and what they're doing with their families and, and what they're doing uh, with their ministries. And, and people get, they just think they're just enthralled with the glory of some Christian or the glory of some athlete or some politician even. Um, you know, um, certain kings in times past had glorious, a glorious reign. Uh, king Solomon had a lot of glory. I mean, the guy would have been a multi-trillionaire by today's standards. 
And that's, I don't think there'll ever be somebody as rich as Solomon because, you know, that, it's a, that he was way up there. He had so much gold. Silver was like rocks yep. in, his, in his kingdom. Glorious. Jesus said it was a glorious kingdom. He had an ivory throne. He had lions going up to it. Everything was, you know, it was coated in gold. And I mean, it's just amazing, his kingdom. And then the temple he built. Of course, that's for God's glory. But he had a glorious kingdom. There's been people, there's been uh, celebrities, athletes, etc. You see, wow, what, what a glorious person. Um, have you ever seen, maybe some of you sports guys, they, you can sometimes go back and do a search and find video of maybe some great athlete when he was a teenager or when he was a real early um, um, in college. And you see the kind of like a little bit of his greatness or his glory or his uh, athleticism. You can see little glimpses of it early on, you know. Um, and I, 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 I just came to mind Tiger Woods. They, I know he's kind of gone up and down, morally certainly gone up and down, and, and some of his performances as a golfer. But he's a, all in all, he's a great golfer. But even you can see a little video of him with his dad, and you see him as a little kid golfing. He's really good, even as a little guy golfing when he was younger. Um, you know, <clears throat> some of you all have seen Superman or, Maybe followed the old Supermans or there's a newer Superman. And some people like it when Superman just kind of just barely pulls back his shirt to show the, see that right there? He's, that's the S right there, you know. People like that. Well, here in this, in this story, you see a little bit of Jesus going like this right there. A little early on, some glory shining out early on of what he is naturally like, not feigned to be, not dressed up to be. What he is naturally like. He is naturally most glorious. You know, when Jesus came to earth, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. That's what we say in one of our songs, I think a Christmas song. His, the Godhead is veiled in flesh. When Jesus came to earth, he was, his glory was veiled. But here he goes, he shows a little glimpse of it. Look at this. This is who I naturally am. We're going to look at this, walk through this, this transfiguration, and there's really one central lesson that I think it leads us to that we'll get to. Here, notice verse 16, chapter 16, that is, verse 27. Jesus makes a prediction. He's still teaching his disciples. Uh, previous to this, he taught them about church, and we see how he builds his church. And then a little bit after that, we see Peter acting like the devil, opposing Jesus when he hears that Jesus said he's going to go to the cross, and, and Jesus re rebukes Peter back, and and he says, in fact, if anybody wants to follow me, they need to, they need to crucify themselves in a sense. They need to die to self in a sense. Um, not literally go to a cross, but at least be ready to die. He said, if any of you guys want to follow me, continue on following me, take up your cross and follow me. And so that's the context here. He's teaching his disciples that whoever will save his life is going to lose it. Whoever loses life for my sake will find it. If you want to find the life that God has for you, you have to let go of the life that you have for you. That's what he's saying. And so he says, you want to follow me? You um, lose your life and you'll find it. And then he says, uh, verse 27, he says this. He reminds them that he's coming back. And when he does come back, it's, there's some wonderful things. He says, verse 27, when the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be majestic. When that happens, he'll have his angels. And then at that point, when he sets up his kingdom, he's going to reward every man according to his works. That is, by the way, for us as Christians, God's watching how we're serving him. He's watching how we're living. Don't think your life doesn't matter. Don't think what you do after Sunday till the next Sunday 
Doesn't matter. He's watching you. He's watching your works. And what you do, he's watching your thoughts. He's watching how you prioritize your life. He's watching how you love him or don't love him. And he's going to reward you in his kingdom. Now I'm talking to saved people. In his kingdom, according to your works. You've been lazy when nobody's looking. He sees that. You've been diligent when nobody's looking. He sees that. He's going to reward you according to your works in the kingdom, and you'll have a place to serve in his kingdom. And verse 28 says, then he's giving a promise here. This is interesting. He says, I'm going to come back. It's going to be glorious. I'm going to reward every man. Verse 28 tells his disciples, there, is, there, is some, there be some standing here. So there was about 12 at the time. There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Now that's an odd statement. you got the 12 disciples and they're with Jesus and Jesus says, yeah, my kingdom, it's coming back. It's going to be glorious. I'm going to reward every man according to his works. It's going to be awesome. And you know what? Some of you guys are going to see this. But some right here are going to see a glimpse of this before you taste death. Now that's kind of a weird statement. What? Somebody's not going to die here? Well, the fulfillment of that statement comes in chapter 17. Verse chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days. So it's making that statement a point of reference. In verse 1, it refers back to the point of reference of when he said something after six days of making this statement. He takes three, Peter, James, and John. They called it the inner circle. Jesus tended to, he worked on 12 disciples. He worked a little harder on the inner circle of leaders, and he worked really hard on Peter, you know. He takes the inner circle and he's going to go them up, go up with them into a mountain, and he's going to show them they're going to not taste death yet. They're going to taste and get a glimpse of what his kingdom is like before they taste death. So this promise is being fulfilled right here. He takes them up. So let's look at this. Chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus <clears throat> takes Peter, James, and John um, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart. People try to figure out where this mountain is. It doesn't matter. It's somewhere in Israel. That's some high mountain apart. It's separate from people. It wasn't populated. There wasn't any campsites. There's very likely any campsites there. It was secluded and um, goes up into a high mountain. And look what it says, verse 2. Got four guys out camping. And he, verse 2 says, Jesus was transfigured before them. Just totally, the image totally changed. Whoa, what is this? Whoa! Now, he's not becoming a monster. See, we think of American movie watchers like, ooh, a monster is cool. No, no, no. This is something glorious. He's totally transformed. And But it's, look, well, let's look at the words there. His face, verse 2 says, did shine as the sun. So you have this blinding brilliance. Blinding brilliance. I mean, go out there and stare at the sun for about a tenth of a second. Okay, that's enough. That's, it says his face, did, his face did shine as the sun. Um, you know, some of us try to get our face to shine. We try to clean up, put little stuff on it. You know, if you use coconut oil, this works. Or if you use this, and people have all these different, you know, uh, remedies and stuff, and, and we try all kinds of stuff. We want to look good and shine. You know, this is real shining, man. This is naturally shining. His face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. Wow, it's just... Now listen, I mean, they didn't know what was happening on this camping trip. I mean, they're going up to the mountain, all of a sudden, whoa, what's going on here? Jesus' face is like the sun. His, his garments are white as the light. Wow, what's going on? By the way, 
This is not Jesus reflecting something. See, we always talk about, and we should as Christians, we want to reflect the glory of God. We want to let, or He's in us, we want to let that come out. Or reflect what God's doing in our life. Moses, when he went up, remember Moses went up to a mountain, Sinai, remember? 40 days, 40 nights, didn't eat or drink. He's with God, got the Ten Commandments, some other things. And when Moses came down, man, he didn't even know it. He wished not that his face was shining. And they're like, man, put something over that guy's face. So bright. Moses was, what was shining from Moses was something that was reflecting out. He didn't have intrinsically of himself. What Jesus has, what you see, what you can, I hope you vision this in your mind's eye, it's natural. It's not like he's just some boring person that's just a little better than everybody else that God shines on it, shines back on everybody else. No, it's natural. It's intrinsically, he's light. He's light. It's glory coming forth. It's natural. This glory that he has, there was this, we see this glory, this brilliance that's so um, majestic. You see it in the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle in Exodus 40, when Moses built this tent, this little tent, according to God's specs, it was with good quality material, but it was a tent, and he built it, the tabernacle, and when it was all done and they did the sprinkling of it, all of a sudden a cloud came over and glory was shown in it, and they had to get out of there. So much glory in that temple. And then later on, Solomon built a magnificent temple. Amazing. Never was there a hammer heard on the job site when he was building it. Everything was prefab. No stone, no, I should say brick. It was stone cut out you know, off-site somewhere by stone squarers. And it was so perfectly fit together. You don't read of mortar in between them. And if other things were paneled in gold plate. It was a glorious temple, but what was most glorious was that the God's glory itself, His presence was manifested in that temple. And the priest had to go out of there too. Like, wow, God's glory is in this temple. And then later on, it says at some, it says, or apparently somewhere at some point between that temple of Solomon and the day Jesus' day, the glory departed. Perhaps during one of the captivities of, of Israel, when Israel became so unbelieving and apostate and forsaking God, his glory, again, his glory was there was a manifestation of it in that temple. In particular, there's the court of the temple, the holy place, and then the holy of holy places that only a priest could go once a year, and that glory was there. But apparently it departed at some point. But then... <clears throat> In John 1, it says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory comes back to earth. Here's God's glory, the Son of God, naturally shining, and He's showing a little glimpse of Himself. This glory of Jesus Christ was also seen when Stephen, who we, many call the first martyr, you could maybe say John the Baptist was, I don't know, the first martyr, at least in the church age, Stephen, was martyred, he was stoned to death as he testified to the self-righteous, wicked Sanhedrin. They martyred him. And as he was dying, he says, I see the glory of God and Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. And he died that way, and he died basically paraphrasing, God have mercy on these men. And then later on, you see Saul of Tarsus who became the apostle Paul. He's riding on his horse from going to, it was to or from Damascus, and he's on his way to kill some more Christians or at least have them arrested. And psh, 
suddenly a bright light. Whoa, what's this? And he falls off his horse. Who art thou, Lord? And then he hears the, hears the Lord talking, and that's when he eventually, in some way, in his, in some, at some, at, in some uh, way, he put his faith in Christ at that moment as he was confronted by Jesus. He put his faith in him, saying, Lord, what will you have me to do? I'm yours now. But this bright light, this glory, and he couldn't see for a couple more days, three more days. He went on blind, and they're like, whoa. And he meets Ananias, the Christian man who baptized him. And, and he was baptized, and then he can see. He was blinded by God's glory. The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes back, we read it in chapter 16, verse 27. When he comes back, now, I believe it's talking about when he lands, comes back, the landing. The, there's the rapture and there's the revelation. That is when he comes back to on earth. When he comes back on earth, it says he's coming back in all his glory. It's going to be like, we know who that is. That's just not, oh, I wonder. No, we know who that is. There's, un, there's majesticness about him and there's glory there with him. And then the Bible says, this is amazing and it's still hard for me to get my mind around. The Bible says the heavenly Jerusalem is going to come out of he, uh, Jerusalem, the holy city, heavenly Jerusalem, descend from God out of heaven. And it's going to be somehow on this new heaven and new earth in chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation. And it says there's no light there because the sun, the lamb, Jesus is the light there. Isn't that amazing? Wow, he himself is light. We all, wherever we go, we have to fetch light from something. i got to grab light to shine on something. I'm not light enough myself. Jesus is. So, so they're going up there. They're hiking up the mountain. They're going all of a sudden... In fact, the other Gospels give a few more details. Apparently, at some point, Jesus was praying, and the disciples got real tired. But let's stay with how it's narrated here. They're going up there, and all of a sudden, they see that Jesus is shining. And then, there's extraterrestrials show up. Extraterrestrials. Extra means they're outside of the terrain, outside of Earth. Okay, not real aliens. Moses and Elias, Elijah, one of the prophets, they're there talking with Jesus. We presume they came from heaven. There they are talking with Jesus. And, um, and I mean, that's, a double, that's like a triple whammy now, right? We're up in the mountain. Whoa, whoa, Moses, whoa, Elijah. Whoa, somebody's like, how do they know it's Moses and Elijah? I don't know, maybe that's a sample of what heaven's like. You just already know who people are. Or it could be Jesus was saying their names. They're like, oh, yeah, that guy just gives me a Moses feeling right there, maybe. That guy, Elijah, I just got this <laughs> feeling with him. You know, he might, you know. <clears throat> but they knew it was Moses and Elijah just talking with Jesus. The law represents two halves of your Old Testament. The law and the prophets. Moses, the law. Elijah, the prophets. Um, <clears throat> I believe these two, this is another side note. I believe Reve Revelation 11 talks about during the tribulation time, there's going to be two witnesses on earth testifying to the world. And some of the Miracles that these two witnesses do remind me of Moses and Elijah. I believe they're Moses and Elijah who are actually going to come back on earth during the tribulation time and do an incredible witnessing uh, to people. But here they are right here talking with Jesus, Mo, uh, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and they're talking together. And Moses represents a believer. Elijah represents a believer. Moses represents a believer in God who dies and God buries his body. But now he's with God. Elijah represents a believer who really never dies but gets get taken up to God. There's two kinds of believers today. There's, gonna, there's the believers who are going to all die a natural death and we're going to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. 
There's another kind of believer one day, one generation, it could be this one, who you will not die, but you shall be changed. You have to be changed to, to be with God. This mortal has to put on immortality. This corruptible has to put on incorruptible. But you'll be taken up. And that's what happened with Elijah. He was raptured. So you see two types of believers here. You see Moses, you see Elijah. They're talking with Jesus. And, and Peter, James, and John are there. And, and Peter speaks up. And, and I'll just go ahead and bring in one of the words of the other Mark gospel who records this. All the three gospels record this. The Bible says that Peter said this. He spoke up and he said something. And the Bible says he said this because he, uh, he knew not what he said he, or he wished not what to say. He just like, ah, I got to say something. And so um, I've been like that. And it's the best thing to do is just not say anything. And Peter says to, to the Lord, Lord, uh, it's good for us to be here. Let's make three shelters for you, three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He just wanted to say something, like, let's camp out here. Let's put up our tents. We have one for each of you. I don't know what he was thinking as far as, like, did he have any intention? Or he just wanted to blab something. I don't know. But he says this, and perhaps he's over-enamored with, with Moses and Elijah. And he, Hey, let's stay here. I always want to ask you something, Moses. And Elijah, I've always wanted to ask you, what was Ahab like? You know, I don't know. I don't know what, but he wanted to say something about having them give a t- have a tent and camp out there in their little tabernacle. I don't know, maybe, he, maybe, his, maybe his mind was further along than we think. Maybe he was thinking, hey, this is a, this, let's have a Feast of Tabernacles observ, observance, which was a very important end-of-the-year Jewish holiday that signified their coming out of bondage and anticipated them going into a new land, a new kingdom even. Maybe he was a little more intelligent than we think. I don't know, but he said this, and it really didn't matter because... Um, in a sense, because what really matters is what happens right here. And it says, while Peter, while he yet spake, look what it says in verse 5, uh, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Okay, now we got a fourth thing. This is crazy. I see Jesus shining. There's Moses. I didn't expect to meet Moses today. I didn't expect to meet Elijah today. Guys, did you expect to meet Elijah? No. Peter, James, they say, no, we didn't. And now a bright cloud. Whoa. If there's a bright cloud, that means something brighter is behind it. A bright cloud overshadows them. And behold, a voice, they didn't expect that either. A voice out of the cloud. A voice out of the cloud. Now, the last time they heard a voice up there was at Jesus' baptism. And that was amazing. A voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were so afraid. Um, So you have a scenario where they're up, they're going up the mountain with Jesus. They see Jesus glorified. They see Moses. They see Elijah. A bright cloud comes over. They hear a voice from God the Father. Well, I mean, Peter's nervously suggesting things. This is a day unlike any other. But the Father speaks and brings it to a focus, I believe. He says to the disciples, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Who do you really hear? Who do you really listen to? You see, the disciples previous to this, they were experienced hearers, at least for two, three years or so, two to two and a half years. They've been experienced hearers. They've been following Jesus day and night. 
Um, and yet, here they are on this day, and the father says, hear him. Maybe they grown too accustomed to hearing him. Maybe they started tuning him out a little bit. But he says, here, listen to him. This is my beloved son. This intense, so this whole intense moment is built up of Jesus showing a glimpse of his glory, Moses and Elijah being there, a cloud coming over, the Father speaking, this whole intense moment building up, testifying to the disciples. It's all uh, something. It's all this whole tense moment builds up so that the Father can get them, get their attention and say this thing to them. I got your attention now. Nobody shines like that, huh? This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. In whom I'm well pleased. Hear Him. Uh, This isn't just anybody. And I know Moses is there. I know Elijah is there. That's pretty cool. I see him every day. This is my son. I want you to hear him. Hear him. Um, You think, well, wait a minute. They've been with him every day. Ah, but maybe they weren't really hearing him. You know, sometimes we, we call ourselves a Christian. We perhaps don't hear him, though, anymore or stop listening to him. And so it's good for us to just get a glimpse of this glorious person. Like, I really need to hear him. Such glory and such majesty deserves my hearing. I notice sometimes kids and teenagers, their favorite athlete that they think is glorious, if they're on TV and they start speaking about something, what does he have to say? And that's why i got to watch my boys, and I'm trying to help my boys be discerning. Look, there's some great glorious athletes. Don't follow their politics. It's lousy. Or their morals or their personal life. So pretty much, just maybe copy them a little bit on the basketball court, except their pride. There's a little bit left to follow, you know. I, I guess what I'm saying is sometimes when somebody's so glorious, you go, what do they have to say? When they see how glorious Jesus is, and they hear the Father say, listen to him. Perhaps they had been blowing him off lately. In fact, it looks like it. Peter was acting adversarial. Look at the previous chapter. Look at verse 27 of chapter 16. From that time forward began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. That's a mouthful. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Wait a minute. So Jesus has the disciples previous to this transfiguration. He says, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be rejected by everybody, not accepted. I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter's like, whoa, Lord, this is not going to happen. No, he actually pulls him aside. We're not going to do this. And some moments, six days later, the father says, listen to him. Better listen to what he's saying. Perhaps their mind was already, um, they had expectations in another direction. And the father says, nah, listen to him. Don't listen to your expectations. Listen to him. That's how we need to be. Listen to the Lord. When you have a Bible in your lap and you have a sincere heart and an open heart, you're listening to the Lord. Hear Him. Just some observations here about hearing Him. I've mentioned some of them already. When He says hear Him, He's saying this is the Son speaking, who is well-pleasing. This is the Son. We're, We're talking about listening to the Son, not just any other voice out there. He says this is my beloved Son 
in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. You know, sometimes us as parents, we say, hey, don't go listen to that kid. Don't go playing around with that kid. Uh, why? Because uh, I don't like that kid. Or he's not really pleasing to me. I don't, I'm not pleased with his attitude, his language, his, some of his values. So we tell our kids, don't listen or hang out with a certain kid. But the father's saying, my kid's perfect and well-pleasing. Listen to him. Who do we hear do we hear every day? There's so many voices out there. Hear him. I'm not saying you can't. We need to be listening. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels, he says. But hear him most of all. We're talking about the sun we're to listen to. Number two, we're talking about experienced hearers. I mentioned that. When, he, when the Father spoke from heaven and told Peter, James, and John to, to hear him, it's like they could have said, we've been listening for about two, two and a half years. But apparently it wasn't good enough. Otherwise, the Father wouldn't have said, listen to him, hear him. Sometimes, again, we can be experienced hearers of Bible, of sermon, of whatever Christian messages, but not really, is God talking to me? Is the Lord speaking to me? I want to hear Him. I've been a Christian a very long time, Pastor Henry. I've been saved for such and such many years. You don't have to tell me. Well, you can get old and callous to hearing God. Jesus often complimented the heart of a child, being childlike in our Christianity. Father says, hear them. I know you've been here in a while. Still need to hear them. Uh, at least one of these hearers, as I mentioned, number three, was resistant lately. One of the, at least one of them was resistant. Peter. Jesus was saying things and he was resisting what he heard. No, Lord. Are you like Peter lately? Lord, you're not going to do this. We're not going to have you do this in my church. We're not going to have you do this in my life. No, this shall not be done. Well, that's not an obedient hearer. We need to hear him. At least one in this case was resistant lately. Are you ever resistant to what you hear God speak to you from the Bible or through decent Christian counsel? Number four, he says, hear ye him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. He's talking to the guy. He didn't say, Peter, you better listen. John and James, you're okay. John, you better listen. Peter, James, you're okay. He speaks to the group, you all, ye, that's plural, ye hear him. I realize, you know, the whole family needs to listen to Jesus. The whole family needs to, um, to be, have an ear for God. And the whole family should want to come to church to hear the word of God. And I know it's not always the ideal case. And many of us are striving to have that. But everybody needs to hear him. Everybody does. Everybody in the church needs to have an ear for Jesus' voice. Not just, well, yeah, I'm glad Adam's a deacon, Derek's a deacon, got some teachers around here, that's good. They need to really be close to Jesus, close to God. No, all of us, everybody. The Bible says in several times in Revelation, I love this phrase, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. God says, anybody's got to hear to listen, listen to me, i got something to tell you. Hear ye him. Look what it says in the verse 6 and 7. And when they, the disciples heard it, that is, heard the voice of God, they fell on their face and were so afraid. Can, try to imagine this. I'm trying. It's hard. I'm trying. This bright cloud, this voice. It wasn't like, 
oh, this is God from heaven. I mean, it wasn't some kind of kind of constrained, limited from some small speaker. I mean, this is bellowing, I'm sure. I, don't, I can't even copy it. You wouldn't want me to. I can copy the bad one. Hello, guys. You know. and, but, but he speaks from heaven. and Wow. That's why you should ever, if you ever hear some guy says, I had a vision of God. I had a vision of Jesus. I saw Jesus. And we stood there at the end of my bed, sat down, talked for a little bit. It was pretty cool. We shook hands. And, you know, people have, there's some people out there like that. I mean, uh, I, I've heard people, some of the, more on the charismatic camp and groups, they talk about, oh, yeah, well, I saw the Lord and we talked. And I'm like, you know what, man, we look in the Bible, people who saw the Lord. John, Isaiah, even when people saw that sometimes Jesus who veiled his glory, they still were, it was different. People that saw the Lord with his glory showing, they thought they were going to die. I'm not exaggerating. They thought they were going to die. And usually another angel or the, the Lord himself says, you're not going to die, it's okay. It's like he's just being natural. He's just being naturally him and people are, I'm going to die. And he has to console that. No, we're good. You're not. Wow, can you imagine? He's naturally that way. Well, when somebody says, I had a vision of God, and, we, and they seems all chummy, you know, we're just chummy and we're cool, and I don't know about that. These disciples saw Jesus, and then they hear the voice from heaven, and they fall down. And Jesus has to moderate it. Verse 7. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. I love that. So again, it's hear him. Hear number five, my, my the observation is such a friend to sinners, such a consoler. So you have Jesus showing his glory. Moses and Elijah there. The father says, Listen to my son. They, they fall down. And Jesus. Everything, by the way, Moses, Elijah, gone. Jesus resumes his normal appearance. Guys, get up. Don't be afraid. Wow. I can only trust one person telling me that, really, Jesus. You know, the one who's connected to the Father. If he tells me not to be afraid, okay. Wow. He's such a friend to sinners, such a friend to the weak, such a friend to the... You know, the pathetic and everything. The worst of us. Isn't that wonderful? I want to I hear that type of person. That's the kind of person I want to listen to. Such a friend to sinners. Uh, read about this guy. Some of you might would recognize the name. Barry Zito. He was one of baseball's brightest heroes about 18 years ago. <clears throat> Um, brightest stars, I should say. Winning the Cy, he won the Cy Young Award as the best pitcher in the American League in 2002. But his career suffered downturns, and after 15 seasons in the major league, he found himself at a very low point in his life. How many of you remember remember the name Barry Zito? Adam does good. No. Anyways, guy wins the Cy Young. It means you're a great pitcher for your league. After 15 seasons, he's very low. He hadn't been doing too good. The Giants had, had, had previously awarded him a large contract. It was the largest in baseball history at the time, at that time. But the fans thought it was a waste of investment. 
And in the 2000, because you hadn't been doing good, you still you didn't step up and improve. So in the, and then in the 2010 season, Barry Zito, even though he had this big contract, he was actually left off of the Giants' uh, playoff roster. When they entered the playoffs in 2010, this high-paying pitcher wasn't doing good for a long time, was left off the roster. I mean, that is humiliating. You're, you got a big, you probably, you probably perhaps was paid more uh, or one of the highest-paying players on that team at the time. So he literally had to watch as a spectator while his teammates won the World Series without him. Now, that just, he's spiraling. You know, he's got money going for him, fine. But mentally, emotionally, he's just sad. Low point. I don't know exactly what this relationship was like, but he had a girlfriend. And the girlfriend apparently previously had given him a Bible. And, but instead of reading the Bible, he was reading all these self-help books, perhaps self-help CDs and whatever. He's reading all these self-help books. You know, like, the best you. You can be better you tomorrow, you know, type stuff. He's reading all these self-help books. And she sees him in this low point in his life, and here's what happened. His girlfriend finally told him to lock up all the self-help books he was reading and open the Bible she gave him. And he did. And out of that choice of locking up the self-help books, taking the Bible, out of that experience, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know what kind of Christian he is today. I don't know. But I see a turn because he decided to hear him. <laughs> I'm going to hear him. Yeah, I know. I got all these self-help books and everybody else is reading. And he put them away. I'm going to hear the Lord. And it made a difference. Do you... Who do you hear first when it comes to your day? Who do you hear first? When you wake up, there's tons of voices calling out to you, right? Who do you hear first? Whose glory are you enamored with? By the way, again, we're trying to picture in your mind's eye this thing of Jesus. Get used to it. We're going to see that forever. One day. Whose glory are you enamored with? Simply leading us, this whole <clears throat> intense moment is leading us to say, I need to hear him. Such glory is worthy of my hearing. Let's, let's bow for prayer and ask God's blessing. Thank you, Lord, for this, this, this moment.